Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. You mean to wish me a good morning? What do you mean that it is a good morning whether I want it or not? Please go away. Let me speak for the love of God. We're spraying nostalgic, creamy white love piss all over the beginning of the show. <laughs> Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> uh, I'm sure I'm sure you know that sound. It's um, perhaps back in 1992, back corner of a time zone video arcade, or maybe 93, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis. Sega Master System. If you're the same age as us, uh, you probably remember Mortal Kombat um, when it came out for the first time. Where were you <laughs> in 1992 when Mortal Kombat first came out? Were you a time zone? Were you at a bowling alley? Were you at a dodgy Asian-run pinball arcade where they sold drugs out of the back of the Jurassic Park machine? <laughs> nah, I was playing Simpsons on Nintendo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I was at the Games World. I was at, no, what was it called? Games, GameStop or Game Planet, playing it on the machine, on the, on the free play machine to test out the, the Nintendo. No, it, was only, it was a Super Nintendo. It was only... Um, Nah, I was, Street Fighter, I was definitely playing Double Dragon 3 at the time. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast presented by FakeShemp.net. We're the home of the nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran, the host with the most, uh, the most copies of Kickboxer 2, that is. Um, I don't know so how they, ju they just keep piling up. I, I don't understand. Um, and standing ringside with a white towel and a spit bucket in hand is my Zan Chow. That is uh, Ben. Ben Helwig, of course. How are you? Best cut man in the business. <laughs> Zan Chow, of course, is the Miyagi-type figure from Kickboxer, played by Dennis Chan. Had to get that in there. Had to get it in there. Uh, yeah, it didn't particularly work, but you know. I don't know who Dennis Chan is. <laughs> of course you do. Do I? <laughs> He's the Miyagi character from Kickboxer. Right, oh, that's of course, yeah, of the first one. I didn't know he was and in the two, second one. Number two, yeah. I didn't know he was in the second one. He was. Remember, he recorded a whole video and everything for us. <laughs> I do, actually. I do remember that video. <laughs> It's one of the few episodes I've watched because I was in it. <laughs> it's one of my episodes. Why do coaches on the ringside always have white towels to mop up blood? I don't know. It's, it becomes super obvious that it's, they're covered in blood, right? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, maybe they're the cheapest. Easiest to clean because you just bleach them. <laughs> Steal them from hotels. St Steal them from hotels. That must be it. Must be. They must spend a fortune on nappy sand. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, the new Mortal Kombat movie has finally arrived. Ben and I had a chance to catch it last week, and um, we're going to talk about it in a little bit. We also had a chance to talk to the director Simon McCoy, who will be uh, who'll be on the show in a little bit. I'm going to share that uh, conversation with everybody. So, Australia's yes, Simon McCoy. Simon McCoy, like he is a he's a Aussie born and bred, and and the film is essentially an Aussie film, you know, with some American backing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, to tie our show in with Mortal Kombat, 
and that interview, we're going to spend today's episode talking about some of our favourite fight tournament movies. So, hang, hang on. sorry. <laughs> what so, now? So, sorry, what? <laughs> fight tournament movies. Uh, shit. What now, Jesus? I <laughs> just prepped like tournament movies, not necessarily <laughs> fight tournament movies. I was about to say there's no strict rule on what type of fight <laughs> movies, but now we're like, now we're just going tournament <laughs> movies. Yeah, look, don't worry. look, I can make it work. They, I can make it work. They play two up in Wake in Fright, so is that it? <laughs> that's a, that's as tenuous a link as uh, some of the uh, the films that I've decided to talk about this week. Okay, well, this but is... But that'll be fine. I, I can make it work, I promise. It's going to be an interesting episode in that case. But, um, of course, Good Movie Monday does come to you thanks to Lunar Driving, Astor Theatre, Four Pillars Gin, Umbrella Entertainment, and our friends at Eagle Entertainment. Their support on this show is immeasurable, and we hope you go and support them back by visiting their website. Um, also coming up are our regular, ever-reliable segments. Jarrett Garn from Monster Fest will be telling you all about this week's awesome new releases on uh, Blu-ray and 4K Ultra HD. He doesn't cover the filthy, filthy DVDs, does he? He does from time to time, if if it's only... If that's all it is. That's all right. I mean, they're filthy, (laughs) filthy DVDs. (laughs) Guillermo Troncoso will be bringing you an update from Screen Realm. That is, if Screen Realm is still up and running, because it got hit by some kind of cyber attack last week. Right. And and at the point of us recording, it's still not up there, which is unfortunate, because I had a review ready to drop. And, um, I mean, look, that's what happens when you look at dodgy porn sites all the time on your work computer. That's why your computer's on the fritz. That's yeah, so <laughs> I had it in the Mac store. And uh, I, hope, I hope the Mac technicians weren't smart enough to look in the prawn folder in, 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 my docu- in my work documents. Well, they did have know. to use alcohol wipes on the keyboard, so that's... Uh... I tell you what, they, they went to town with the alcohol wipes well, on, the, on that, the computer when well, I brought a, it in. That's Italian sign. I mean, look, it is... Like, my monitor was covered in pickle juice, so it was, <laughs> uh, it was necessary. Is that but, what we uh, call it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't know why, because they, they ended up replacing the whole kind of front panel, keyboard panel and everything. And I'm like, well, mm. so why are you bothering to... Cl- oh, because you've got to touch it. I see. And of course, Adam Ross, the chairman of the Australian Film Critics Association, will be along with a recommendation. And the three guys from Bonehead Weekly will be musing over what board games might make for good movie adaptations. That's as close as we could get it to tournament (laughs) this week. (laughs) Because unlike last week where they dropped what they were doing and they recorded an exclusive uh, segment for us, uh, couldn't get that out of them this time. No, they're busy. They're busy lads. They are. Uh, we have a belt of a show lined up, so let's kick some ass. Round one, fight! <laughs> well, we do like to start each episode off with a salute to those celebrities who passed away over the course of the past week, and uh, otherwise known as the Celebrity Death Watch segment, it usually has a more jovial kind of quality to it, because people that uh, die tend to be at the you know the, the, the end of their years, but this week is not so upbeat. Uh, and of course, the old curse of pre-recording the show struck again, where... Uh, no, no sooner had we finished recording that people started passing away before the actual episode landed. So, like, what are they thinking? Yes. Yeah, so the sad like, news, get of your course, shit together, people. Helen McCrory passed away. Yeah. You know, and that was very sad. Uh, she was only fifty-two years old. Um, lost her battle with cancer. And she's a fantastic. She was a fantastic actress. She was in Interview with a Vampire. That's sort of where it all kicked off. Count of Monte Cristo, Enduring Love, Casanova, The Queen, Fantastic Mr. Fox. You got Skyfall, Hugo, Harry Potter. <laughs> 
and like so many more plus stage credits and all that kind of stuff. I was watching her quite a bit recently in Piggy Blinders because I binged yes. that whole series. Yes, I, I do. I love looking at her. I think she had a real striking kind of on-screen presence. Beautiful woman, but just like something really appealing. Mm. And we also had Italian actor Felix Silla pass away on the same day from pancreatic cancer at the age of 84. Now, you might know, you might not know his name or his face, and that's because he was the little guy inside so many memorable character suits. So, you know, including a creature from The Brood. He was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. He was a monster in House. And he was Dink from Spaceballs. Jesus. But my favourite, he was Meathead, the alien from Meatballs 2. <laughs> <laughs> and he was also uh, Sam the Seal Boy from Snake. Right. The movie Snake with the three S's. And Snake. And he was the crazy midget clown from Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, what an illustrious career. And he lived to be 80. He lived to be That's 84. That's a pretty good trot. It is. I'll tell you what's a pretty good trot is 91, Monty Hellman. Yeah. Now, B-movie auteur, I guess, would be fair to say. He rose up in that sort of glorious Corman-esque era. Yeah. And but like a different, not not the kind of, not the video era B-movie. Like yeah. he's a 70s B-movie, so mm. a bit different. For sure. And he directed a bunch of movies, including uh, Ride the Whirlwind and The Shooters with Jack Nicholson, which mm-hmm. Ride the Whirlwind, we covered at Fake Champ a while ago in our movie club. That was one of the, the movies to catch. Uh, he also directed Silent Night, Deadly Night 3, and I love that fact. Yeah, he kind did. Kind of, it's sort of out of place of, of the things he directed. He was a second unit director on Robocop. That, that was uh, amazing to know. Yeah. And I think, He's and pro- the shooters, the shooters with, with uh, John Wayne? No, no, no. Um, with Jack Nicholson. Ah, right. Yeah. Uh, the other shooters. The other shooters. Because I just watched the, the other shooters. <laughs> I was At like, least I, I think it's called the shooters. I'm, I'm just pulling information out of my noggin here. Like that right. one is not strictly researched. Right. Uh, I think <laughs> I'm correct. And I'm sure we can. I know he did, like, he did two. There were two Nicholson movies. Yes. And it could be that it's something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. that is it. And, um,. And, of course, he's probably most notable for being... Um, the director of Cockfight. <laughs> <laughs> he was the mentor that helped break Tarantino into the industry. So, if, oh, you, right. if you read any of Tarantino's biographies, the first, you know, five chapters is all Monty Hellman, Monty Hellman. Because right. I think he was a geek boy that sort of, you know, got welcomed through the, the front door and, you know, Monty, Monty Hellman uh, produced uh, Reservoir Dogs and just helped him get in the door. And he, well, he, of course, and his big film, Tulane Blacktop which is the one I think he's probably most well-known for now. And also, in, in the, for the last... I feel like for the last 10 years at least, he's run... He ran a very popular Airbnb. You could come and stay at Monty Hellman's house and he would, like, in the morning, if he was in the mood, he would cook you breakfast. Amazing. And How uh, amazing is that? Like, Seriously. how awesome is that? Maybe that's where Tarantino started. It was an Airbnb. <laughs> it was just an Airbnb. You just needed somewhere to crash in Hollywood. Wow. Except I think he was I think he's a he's a Hollywood native or a Los Angeles native. Yeah. Anyway. And then of course at the age of seventy three we had Jin Steinman um, pass away, who was the rock composer behind Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell and um had an extensive music career, like I mean really extensive and so much of his uh, music ended up on movie soundtracks. So that's why I thought we'd include him. But um so there you go, a heavy week for sure, but um still no Betty White. No, no Betty White, so knock as, on wood. As, as Simon Harcourt said on it, soon. I think it was Nathan soon. Armstrong. Was it Nathan? I thought I, it was Simon. I think it was Nathan. Either way, depraved young gentleman. Hang on a second. Before we... It's Sharkot, that's Simon. So it is. Sorry, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, yeah, it's um heavy week there for sure, but um I'll tell you who ain't heavy, Jarrett Garn. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now I'm gonna kick off this week's segment with a little bit of news, and that is that Basic Instinct is getting a 4K Ultra HD release. That's right, Studio Canal will release it on 4K UHD in the UK on June 14th. Now, this has got a 4K restoration. It's got a feature-length documentary titled Sex, Death, and Stone that I'm very keen to check out. It also ports over all the legacy featurettes and also even has some screen tests with Sharon Stone and Dream Triplehorn. It's also got multiple commentary tracks and it looks to be the pants. I can't wait to get a copy of this. I'm a huge fan of Paul Verhoeven's classic Basic Instinct. I can't wait to own it on 4K Ultra HD. Now at the moment, like I said, it's only been announced for the UK and currently there's a Zavi exclusive steelbook as well as a deluxe edition that's available trade-wide. However, I have a feeling that it won't be too far down the track that we can anticipate a local release of this title, probably slotting in somewhere around July or August at this point in time. But no confirmation on that just yet, but let's face it, it's gonna happen. Now, moving on to this week's new releases. First up from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is the Paul W.S. Anderson Monster Hunter. It's coming out on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Now, this film does have a Dolby Atmos track indeed. It also has got HDR10, three featurettes that are your marketing fluff that run between about five to eight minutes each, some deleted scenes and a trailer. Also out from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is music, you know that film with Sia that seemingly got critically savage but Glenn really liked? Yep, that one's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD. Then also coming out on DVD is Ammonite, which is a film that didn't really get much attention but was an outstanding picture and that's coming out via transmission from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. Then, lastly from Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment is A Gift From Bob. It's the sequel to A Street Cat Named Bob and it's coming out only on DVD. Now, I believe Bob passed recently, or the actor who played Bob, so that's quite sad to say. Uh, this is the festive theme sequel. Then, ViaVision have a ton of releases hitting their imprint label. Some classics, most of which are global Blu-ray debuts, and I'm just gonna quickly run through the titles. There's Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss, which I really love, can't wait to pick that up. Regarding Henry with Harrison Ford. Again, I love that movie, can't wait to pick it up. There's Two Worlds of Jenny Logan, the original Scarface, there's Timeline. And then lastly, the one I'm most excited about is The Mothman Prophecies. Now, Biovision had put this one out prior. However, the transfer they used used uh, some on-screen German subs anytime something was written in English on screen. So it wasn't really the best uh, transfer of the film out there, so I'm hopefully they've rectified it with this. And plus, I, from memory, I think the last one had uh, just uh, lossy audio, whereas this has lossless audio. And there is a ton of special features, most of which is newly commissioned content for the release, as well as all the legacy special features from the previous two-disc DVD edition that uh, Universal Sony Pictures Home Entertainment had it out on the market. So yeah, I'm really excited about that one. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. Round two, fight. <laughs> I'm going to giggle every time we do it. <laughs> Round two, fight. Tournament movies. Um, Probably, I think, uh, the tournament movies that we know and love are most influenced by Bruce Lee's classic Enter the Dragon. I think that's like a pinnacle fight movie from 1973 of which all sort of fight competition movies have modelled themselves after, even the boxing ones. Uh, so I think we're going to do our usual thing here and talk about um, maybe two movies each, get the ball rolling. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first. So I've chosen 
something a little weirder. It's a hybrid type of tournament movie, um, and you'll see why in a second. But first of all, I was going to go with Kickboxer 2. Like, <laughs> I just can't resist talking about it, right? Because it is obviously a favourite. But I'm going to go with another Albert Pune film instead. From 1995, this one's called Heat Seeker. And Heat this Seeker. is starring Keith Cook, who was in Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation back in the 90s. Who was he? Who did he play in those movies? <sighs> God, do I care? <laughs> <laughs> was he... He was in King of the Kickboxers, he's in China O'Brien, he's in Beverly Hills Ninja of all things, um, but it also does feature our good friend Norbert Weiser, Tina Cote, Tim Thomason, Tom Matthews and Gary Daniels. So the reason I love this one is because it's essentially blood sport with cyborgs. All right, so <laughs> the story has like a kickboxing champion, a human kickboxing champion that's forced to fight against cyborgs when a sporting conglomerate kidnaps his girlfriend um, just to force his participation in their corrupt tournament. And look, this is a batshit crazy movie. And I think it's when Albert was still making those good movies before he sort of had to transition to digital. You know, like you're still getting good DTV kind of quality stuff out there, like the production value and all that kind of stuff. And I love this one because... You know, the fight sequences, it is essentially two blokes going at it, but one will get punched and strips of flesh will come off his face and there's like Terminator-style machinery underneath. And, yeah. like, and then you start getting those sound effects. And People always have piss-weak skin when they become cyborgs. <laughs> they sure do. Like, like, even like Data. When Data gets skin in Star Trek, he has piss-weak skin. I know. What's what's going on? Like the It's the one thing that they just can't get the spices right. As uh, <laughs> Principal Skinner uh, says like this. I just think this is such a fun movie. I love the concept. You know, Bloodsport with cyborgs, you know, what could possibly go wrong? And in fact, Norbert Weiser, it's one of his more outrageous characters. And you've got Tim Thomason with like pinkish red hair and like white face paint like that. And he's like an love evil it. kind of conglomerate, you know, mastermind or whatever. Right. Yeah. He's like Promoter. Mr. Like... Was it Mr. Is it Mr. Bad from East Street? Mr. Nice? <laughs> What's his name from East Street? The serial killer? But this actually sounds like it should have been directed by Gordon Ho. <laughs> Well, maybe. <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, Albert, uh, you know, Albert doing Gordon Ho. Because he made a lot of, like, ninja versus cyborg well, I mean, kickboxer kind of movies. Albert is kind of responsible for the cyborg renaissance. You know, like, yeah. you know, cyborg obviously had knights. He had this, you know. Who was... did cyborg 2? Cy- oh, don't don't mention that in front of Albert, <laughs> oh, please. Really? No, I actually quite like cyborg 3, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, I mentioned I that even, one day yeah. and it uh, didn't go down too well. <laughs> to him? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Albert said, look, you know, I know you're precious about your cyborg and your director's card and all that, but, you know, Cyborg 3 is pretty How good. How can you be precious about something that was supposed to be a He-Man movie? <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it was, it's not what it was supposed to be already. Well, it was Masters of the Universe 2 and Spider-Man combined. combined. Yeah. Because, you know, what universe does Spider-Man exist in? Eternia. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Heat Seeker, I love it. I've got a really nice... Uh, German DVD release of it where it's right. sort of been cleaned up. And... Filthy SD though. Oh Well, you know, it's, it's as good as you'll get. There is a there is a copy available on YouTube and it's relatively clean but not as clean as the one I've got. I'll have to uh, mark that down. Actually, speaking of which, yes, uh, at the request of a listener, we will this week be starting a Letterboxd account and I believe it's like letterboxd.com slash Monday is the name of it where we will list all of the movies that we talk about. So if you happen to hear something, really want to check it out, but then you forget the name by the end of the show, you can jump on Letterboxd to follow us there and uh, and 
add them to your watch list. This sounds like a ploy from one particular person who can never remember what we talk about, <laughs> but it's going to benefit everybody. That's, look, that's me. <laughs> I can't remember what we talk about as we talk about it. After I delete my notes from the episode, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. I usually write them on a piece of paper, and then I leave the piece of paper here. I mean, we could listen back to the episode. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> Anyway, dude, Dad, do you want to do your first dip into that proverbial bucket of broken glass? <laughs> Indeed. All right. Uh, directed by Peter Israelson and starring Courtney Thorne, The Hammer Smith, Harley Jane, The Hitman Kozak, Peter the Piper Horton, and C. Thomas Hercules Howe, Side Out was released in the year 1990. This epic clash of good versus evil pits a fresh out of college kid and a washed up old timer against two of the deadliest gladiators to ever hit the sand. When you <laughs> when you play for the Cuervo Gold Crown, it's life or death. Well, not not actual death, but metaphorical death. <laughs> And with hundreds of thousands of dollars at stake, nobody cares about the rules. Featuring string bikinis, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's, a Kathy Island cameo, and all the beach volleyball you can take, this is a tournament film to end all tournament films. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> have you ever seen Side Out? I haven't, but it's got Bernie in it, so I'm it there. It does have Bernie, and he plays like Bernie, basically, and it's fucking great. Um, deceased Bernie or... Living no, Bernie. he's living Bernie, <laughs> okay, but cool. just as sleazy, just as arsehole yeah. Bernie. Awesome. Except this time he's a real estate lawyer. All right. No, I've, I've not seen it, nor have I heard of it. You've never even heard of it? No, I'm going to have to check out Letterboxd this to is see what, what that's all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is one of those great, like there is that Courtney Thorne Smith renaissance. Yeah. Like Summer School, Revenge of the Nerds 2 and Side Out, where uh, she yes. pretty much spends the entire film in a bikini. Yep. And uh, it's just amazing. I'm going to just uh, look up the poster because I reckon I know it. Um, the poster is pretty shit. <laughs> <laughs> Was it 1990 or? 1990. Okay, let's just bring that up for the benefit of people at home who can't see what I'm looking at. It does look shit indeed. I do know that cover. It kind of, um, there's like a Paul Walker film. Like, is it one of those early films that has a very similar poster to this? Uh, the one with the snow dogs? The one with the dogs? <laughs> we'll just forget so. I said anything. Move on. <laughs> She's all that? Oh, no, the video cover's great. The video cover, I believe it has like some arse on it. It certainly does. Yeah. But it's PG arse. Yeah. Yeah, there is boobs in it. You do get to see some boobs. Okay, well, the PG, it just... And there's a lot of thongs. My my interest level just sort of dipped a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I have a flaccid interest in this one. (laughs) So that's it? That's it. That's it. Fantastic. All right. Awesome. So that leads me to my second recommendation because let's face it, yours had nothing to do with five tournament movies. I think I'm at work. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to go for something very similar in theme but a little higher in production value. It's um, one that I think... Decide out. I never... <laughs> to, to Heat Seeker. Uh, one I never understood why it never got um, more accolade. Um, but it's 2011, Real Steel, starring Hugh Jackman. Oh, God, yeah, okay. Evangeline Lilly and Anthony Mackie. Um, you don't like it? No. I do. I no. love it. I think it's a doozy. I just don't really... I don't, know if I, I don't know if I care for Hugh Jackman, to be honest. Yeah, look, I can take or leave him. I think um, he's a nice bloke by persona, you know. Yeah. He, he puts himself out there like that. But um, I, look, in this film, I, I dug it because it came out of left field, wasn't expecting it to have the heart that it had. Yeah. And it's essentially, it's set in the world of robot boxing, sort of we're in a future world where humans don't fight each other anymore. Um, and then a strange father who's washed up and he's a trainer of robots and... 
Yeah. You know, I mean, to be honest, if if there's not bikinis in it, I don't watch a <laughs> movie that's not about robot boxing. Well, that's true. And anyway, this this estranged father um, hooks up with his estranged son. He doesn't hook up with his estranged, his estranged son. He reunites with there's, his estranged there's son. There's some really intense make-out scenes <laughs> that are quite disturbing. And they build a new robot together, and it's not one of those robots you the get robots the package. Make out. No, no, it's not like one of those ones from you know China. They make it's it's like Mumford. He makes robots that hook up with each other. <laughs> And that's <laughs> fight is just like a it's fight in air commas. And they build this one robot to sort of have one final chance at glory. And uh, look, like I said, it's got a lot of heart. There's a human story to it as opposed to a robot story. Special effects are incredible, and the authenticity in this one is the fact that they use real sort of robots that weren't mobile or you know didn't move around for those close-up scenes. So they actually interacted with something as opposed to a di- completely digital. And I think that's owed a lot to Spielberg and Zemeckis, who both produced it, right? You know, along with Don Murphy. But um, yeah, look, I, I think mean, it's, it's the Rock'em Sock'em Robot game movie, right? Totally. It's I mean, it's it's flashy, it's full of sentiment and heart, but it's just I just I like it. It's it's Rocky with bloody robots. Yeah, and and that can't be bad. May as well call it Heat Seeker Two. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Which uh, leads us to your second one. That that was a Shamalta, by the way. What? My entire... Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about electric... Bo- like, my electric boogaloo game no, was you, some, you know, some say shamozzle, like, some I mean, say masterpiece, you know? Yeah. <laughs> One man's shamozzle is another man's masterpiece. <laughs> That's exactly what Real Steel is. And that was a tagline. That was a tagline on electric boogaloo. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> Tired, worn out, downtrodden, and just plain old. Peter Colt has never been what you'd call great. But when a night of passion with a younger woman reintroduces testosterone into Peter's game, he becomes Britain's best last hope almost overnight. From then on, it's life or death. Well, not actual death, but you know, like metaphorical death. Uh, As opponent after opponent falls to Peter's unstoppable slice, all the way to the top. Colt climbs with a single-minded determination of a much younger man until he faces Kid Dynamo and world number one, Jake Hammond, in the finals. Will his lady friend give it up again to keep his mojo going? Will the outpouring of jizz help him with the most prestigious tournament in the world? Will their tete-a-tete become more than just physical? She does. He does. They do. Can you guess what the film is? <laughs> if you pick 2017's Borg vs. McEnroe starring some Swedish guy in Shia Beef, then you guessed wrong. I am, of course, talking about 2004's Wimbledon. Directed by Richard Longcrane, yes. starring Paul the Beefcake Betney, Kristen the Body Dunst, Sam the Man Neil, Ruddy John Favreau, Nikolai Calder-Wasser, I couldn't come up with any middle name of him, and uh. Jimmy James McAvoy. This is a sporting classic. I just bore witness to Ben Climax. <laughs> Live on the mic. Love one. And- <laughs> Dude, I love, I love Wimbledon. It's a great movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny how like you missed the theme of the show, but seemed to deliver it in a very thematic way. Yeah, well, I just I know I said I said I could make it work. <laughs> I would make it work, and you know the funny thing is is like I have actually haven't seen the film in in a couple of years. Yep. And I wrote this out, mm-hmm. and then I was supposed to work on the next film. Yeah. And instead, I just watched Wimbledon. <laughs> I was like, fuck it. Yeah. And I just put it on. Well, why not? Like, it's, it's been a while. It's so good. Came in a pink uh, DVD case. Indeed. Yes. So right. I've got it around here somewhere. Yeah, I like um, it. I remember like Sam Neill has a pretty bad Aussie uh, American accent. Yeah. 
in it. It's a working title film, isn't it? You say so, Tim Bevan. Uh, I think. Oh, I think they. I think it had was called Wimbledon the whole way through. Just shoot me in the face. That, uh, that probably brings us to the Gamo segment. Yeah. <laughs> Are you done with that one? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, we do have more tournament movies to get through, or whatever the fuck it is you the Ben's doing over there. Um, but not before one of the greatest motivational movie montage songs of them all. Find out what that is in a minute. But to kick it off, here's what's happening over at Screen Realm. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favorite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Let's cover a little bit of industry news, shall we? Kicking off with Muppet Man, a biopic on Jim Henson, the creator of the Jim Henson Company, who were, of course, behind the Muppets. The film is going to be exploring the life of the beloved puppeteer who passed away at the age of 53 in 1990. The screenplay is going to be coming from Michael Mitnick, known for 2014 YA picture The Giver, and 2017 biopic The Current War, which told of the battle between Thomas A. Edison and George Westinghouse. Jim Henson's daughter Lisa Henson will be producing the film, which by the way is coming from Disney. Speaking of Disney, they have a new haunted mansion on the way and they've chosen their director. On board to direct the new haunted mansion is Justin Simeon. He directed 2014 breakout indie hit Dear White People and then directed the 2017 Dear White People Netflix series that followed. He also directed a recent Hulu horror film titled Bad Hair. The screenplay comes from Katie Dippold, whose credits include Parks and Recreation, Comedy The Heat, and the Ghostbusters remake from 2016. Now in case you didn't know, The Haunted Mansion is a ride at Disney World. It debuted in 1969 and has since become one of the most popular attractions at the theme park. Eddie Murphy starred in a 2003 movie adaptation. It grossed $182 million worldwide, but critically it really didn't do too well. It's got a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. A new adaptation of Tennessee Williams' play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is on the way from director Antoine Fuqua, known for Training Day, Magnificent Seven, and The Equalizer, among other films. This adaptation is to be based on the 2008 Broadway production and it's going to be featuring an all-black cast. The new film version is said to combine elements of the classic play with new storylines. The original three-act play was set in the plantation home in the Mississippi Delta of Big Daddy Pollitt, a wealthy cotton tycoon, and the play examined the relationships among members of Big Daddy's family, primarily between his son Brick and Maggie the Cat, Brick's wife. And we had a new review come from Glenn, this one for Netflix film Stowaway, a dramatic space survival film starring Anna Kendrick, Tony Collette, Daniel Day Kim, and Shamir Anderson. Glenn thoroughly enjoyed the film, calling it a thought-provoking take on what is otherwise a classic and formulaic genre. He was impressed with the film's composure and calmness, and enjoyed the fact that writer-director Joe Pena was more interested in exploring logic than reaching cinematic touchstones and matching audience expectations. He was also impressed with the performances, in particular Anna Kendrick, who he said really commands the story. Four out of five stars. Go to Screen Realm, check out that review right now. Or I guess after you listen to this podcast, that about does it for me, guys. Just a real quick one for me. Make sure you go to ScreenRealm.com. Always keep an eye out for our giveaways. We've got latest movie news, trailers, all that jazz. Thanks so much for having me. I'm out of here.
trivia for you about that song which i'm sure you already know ben that was you're the best by joe esposito from the don't forget bean it's joe bean esposito joe bean esposito (laughs) there's been enough flicking of beans on this episode (laughs) uh from the karate kid soundtrack of course there was controversy amongst fans when that song was used on the karate kid soundtrack do you know why no there's a lyric in there saying history repeats itself yeah because the song was originally written for rocky three Right. right. Hang on, why? Rocky and, three. Yeah, and like Rocky it got, two makes sense. Rocky three got rejected in favour of Eye of the Tiger. Right. But it was also rejected for Flashdance, just as an oddity. And look, the music the musical choices of Flashdance, I think, are quite <laughs> odd. Speaking of flicking beans. Like a, <laughs> I mean it like it's a dance movie about like I mean she's a still worker who wants to be a dancer and yet a lot of the songs are a lot more action y in It's essentially a pre- it's, a, it's a prequel to Bootman, isn't it? <laughs> I've, I've never thought of it in those terms but 100 percent yes <laughs> anyway banger of a song and um that brings us to my conversation with simon mccoy the director of the mortal Kombat movie but first before that let me thank guillermo for his screen round update before the song visit screenround.com keep up to date with all things related to film and television once again if they're still active you know i have great fears for screen realm unfortunately so a few days ago, uh, ahead of the film's release, I had the opportunity to talk to Simon McCoy just to uh, set the scene, though. I want to just let you know that the conversation took place over phone. Well, it was phone at my end. I think it was a, a tin can and a string at his end. Uh, <laughs> well, he was only in Perth. Which explains the difference in audio that you will definitely notice. Uh, I did my best to sort of, you know, 
balance it out a little bit. But anyway, uh, the film has just opened across the country. So here is Simon talking about why you should go out and see Mortal Kombat. Round three. Fight. <laughs> G'day, Simon. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Um, wanted to start by telling you that I'm not a gamer, but you had me in the palm of your hand for the entire course of this film. Oh, that, that is fantastic of you. I'm so happy to hear that, mate. So, how familiar were you with Mortal Kombat prior to the project? Um, a little bit, not much. I wasn't really a fan. Um, I, I knew that there was a huge fan base. I knew how important it was culturally. So, was, does that mean, like, was it a daunting prospect for you to take on such a, a beloved property? Well, I, I found that quite exciting, actually. I, I liked the idea that there's, a, there's this really passionate fan base and a, and a passionate love for the material. And what I really tried to do is work out what was inside the... What are the essential DNA strands of what's inside this that we, we needed to grab hold of and amplify Yeah, right. Um, one, one thing I want to really compliment you on more than anything else is the, the quality of the digital effects in this one felt incredibly natural and, and fluent to me. And I think the augmentation made the CGI feel really um, realistic. You must be thrilled with the results. Yeah, I am. I'm really happy. The, the, to, get, to, to go against the norm of what visual effects tend to require and become um, takes a takes a bit of time just to to sort of find and and, and really get everyone on the same page and but the, the visual effects companies that we worked with Rising Sun Pictures in Adelaide and Method and Melbourne played in Sydney and Mr X in Adelaide with a with a main anchor of visual effects companies they all re- they got it really quickly and. They're just really good. They're all really, really um, capable, very good people. So it, that was a that was a wonderful experience just working with them. And then by shooting a lot of stuff in camera to begin with, to give it to ground it in this very elemental, very gritty, real feeling, that also helped inform the visual effects companies when they got the material. They, you know, obviously I've been talking to them and we've been chatting about stuff, and then. Once they saw it, they understood even more. Because obviously there's a lot of people who work on this stuff, so um, it's just a matter of keeping a very consistent um, brief and consistent look and feel to, for them to match, and, and they did a great job. Right, and, and building upon that, I, I was really surprised to read how many actual real locations that you took advantage of. Were you surprised at how many opportunities South Australia provided you in terms of landscape and environment? Surprised. I mean, I knew that the one great surprise and great relief was the old growth pine forest in that we found there, which is the opening of the movie, and that was that was amazing. So that that was I was worried. I was worried we wouldn't find that in Australia, and um, but that was incredible. That is a breathtaking location just to spend time in. And we actually shot that after we'd been out in the desert in Cooper's Medium. So it was like 
certainly did uh, conceal the fact that it's Australia. I don't think anyone, you know, anywhere else in the world would be any wiser. No, no, we really spent a lot of time making sure that there were no eucalyptus trees. <laughs> uh, um, so in terms of, like, the wardrobe and the costume, I think, you know, there's a, there's a fine line between authenticity and kitschiness, but I think you've pulled it off really well. Was getting that right sort of a nerve-wracking prospect? Well, it wasn't nerve-wracking, but I knew it, we needed to spend a great deal of time and attention to it. And Cappy, Cappy Island, who's the costume designer, she has wonderful taste. So as a director, what, what I, I look to hire people with great taste. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I don't really care how much experience they've had on something. I just look at I just need to see enough of their stuff to see they have taste. And Cappy has so much, she has experience, but she has great taste. So when I was talking to her about very lived in, but also celebrating and, and making the, the costumes and the characters feel very, sort of two things at once, real and layered and rich and as if they've lived in them, but also just to give them this, this underlying sense of fantasy that we couldn't ignore. We couldn't go just completely, um, utterly, utterly real, but there needed to be an element of there was also this wonderful layering of detail and um, richness that she brought. Um, her and her team were just extraordinary. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm just watching it was blown away by the mixture of everything, putting these costumes in these environments with these digital effects. It just all bound together so beautifully. Um, I was wondering also, um, I, I think Josh Lawson is guaranteed to be a crowd favourite as Kano. Uh, was finding the right measure of comedy a difficult thing or was it sort of evident from the outset how far you were going to push the comedy? Well, it wasn't like I... I, I went in knowing that there needed to be comedy in the film. That it had to be the right type of comedy and it had to come from a character. It couldn't just be sprayed across the whole film because then the tonality would be out of balance. So to balance that, the, the comedy that comes from Josh, we needed that to counterbalance the very important, very earnest aspect of the, the Mortal Kombat law. So 
in treating that with respect and gravitas, we also we did too much, we had too much of that. We'd sort of look right, we're trying to treat ourselves too seriously. So it was really just to sort of balance that up and to, just to make a, a thoroughly entertaining piece of film, really. Sure. And look, we're almost out of time, but I just wanted to ask one final question. And I know my questions have all kind of had this kind of um, this slant to them, but I'm wondering, was it a scary prospect stepping out of, you know, the commercial world and into feature filmmaking? No, no, not at all. I, I, was, I was so ready and so looking forward to it. It was just... Um, and it just the commercials I, I do on a day-to-day basis feel pretty similar to this. It's just that I don't do them for so long. <laughs> I do it for six days or eight days or twelve days instead of a hundred. So um, no, I, I I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Well, fantastic and congratulations, mate! It is an excellent film, and I, I mean that with all sincerity. I hope everyone else out there loves it as much as I did as well. So um, yeah, congratulations on a killer movie. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, mate. Nice chatting. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, perfect way to get your prime for Mortal Kombat, I'm sure. Thanks to Simon for having a yak with me and thank you to the folks at Universal Pictures for setting that up and Stack Magazine for letting me share it with you. Uh, but now it's time for the Boneheads. Some goodness from them. This is an interesting one. So they're going to be talking about board games that should be turned into movies. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We've decided to do the world's worst idea for a movie and that would be basing a movie on board games that would never work would it gentlemen no no i thought it was battleship i don't know how or you could clue. mess up i don't know how you could mess up a battleship movie no, well you clue. just you just make transformers and you call it battleship <laughs> and it's just stupid it's just stupid it got it's god awful <laughs> trash it's awful trash and that's that leads me to the one i think they should do i think they should do a freaking scrapple movie the reason wait did you say you said scrabble you sounded like you said scrapple i would be okay with that by the way scrapple for some of you people in australia is our shitty version of vegemite that's none of that's true but you can't eat it anyway it's a liver mush it's liver mushes scrapple's not bad liver mush is undigestible now (laughs) scrabble board game all mixed up trying to figure out words and letters that's what this movie is because most board game movies are just pointless mixed up let's do it with scrabble was jumanji an actual game before the movie i'm not trying to act i don't right it's not no it was a novel it was a book if i'm not mistaken yeah that movie sucks uh, the remake and the sequel to the remake have about 20 minutes in each of them. i mean they're mindless entertainment I, board game movies is there there's only one good one right clue right clue. I mean, we're talking about clue clue is a classic but clue's, clue's that, a classic. yeah yeah james go i'm gonna i'm gonna say actually joe i think this one could be made i'm gonna talk about how there should be a film version of exploding kittens now if you've never played exploding kittens let me tell you the plots on the box right here it's a card game for people who are into kittens and explosions and boob wizards and sometimes butts. That's a movie right there, folks. You're going to get people to buy tickets just on that line alone. That's sometimes butts, what I call my Saturday night. Chad. All right, so mine is going to be, ad- should be adapted into a horror movie. Um, and that would be... Scrabble. No, Hungry Hungry Hippos. Because what's more terrifying than a large mammal gobbling down a pair of balls? The thing about that is, is you're making a joke. But... <laughs> 
Hippos Haven't they tried now. to make Hungry Hungry Hippos a couple of times? I have no idea. There's actually, and there's also it's a robot. like they tried to make the Hot Wheels movie a few years ago. Everybody forgets about. They're trying to make Candyland. They're trying to make Monopoly. They're trying to. They they've had to have made Hungry Hungry Hippos about trying to gobble down some balls. There's actually, and there's also a robot chicken sketch where they do other uh, detectives. They're hungry for justice. Is the tagline Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. What board game would you turn into a movie? Connect Four. <laughs> that was you didn't have to think about that. No, didn't have to think about it because it, it's a hundred percent like nothing says movie like trying to connect four thing get four things in a row. <laughs> that is cinematic heaven right there. I know, and if they make a franchise of four installments, like boom. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like it's it's done in in drops, <laughs> and then the counter drop from the opposing player. <laughs> Do you remember that time they they turned Twister into a into a movie? It felt nothing like the game. And there wasn't, there was no Jello in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we're plowing through today's show. Ah, uh, what do we uh, do? We've got four more tournament movies to get through. Um, but hey, let's just uh, see what Adam has to say. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen with another good movie Monday recommendation. This week we are doing tournament films. When I think of tournament films, the first film that comes to my mind is Bloodsport. This is the movie that introduced me to JCVD, Jean-Claude Van Damme, my base, probably my favorite. Yeah, actually he's my favorite action movie star of all time he like might be like neck and neck with Russell Crowe as like my straight up favourite actor I just I don't know what it is about this dude they just never made another movie star like him can he act? I don't know can he do any accent work? definitely not but the dude is pure charisma you just cannot take your eyes off him and Bloodsport introduced me to the way that this dude moves and I hadn't really ever seen anything like it. I mean, he's jacked. I've never seen anyone being built like him as well. And this movie, following him playing a character, Frank Dukes, as he infiltrates an underground fighting tournament called the Kumite, is goofy and funny and kind of awesome. Uh, and it's got, it introduced me to as well to Bolo Young, who has got the biggest pectorals, I think, in cinematic history. The guy, the kid, who plays the young Frank in this flashback sequence in this movie has got the distinction of, I believe, being the worst child actor of all time. So you should definitely just fire this up on a streamer to watch that opening sequence to see how bad this guy is. But look, if you, you know, if you've never seen a Van Damme movie, start with this. Like, I mean, it's just rock and roll. There is lots of DNA in this that you could see that would go on to be in things like Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. So this is a movie, honestly, that has endured and it's got a soft spot in my heart and a lot of other hearts. So yeah, Bloodsport, check it out. A movie of a complete different era and what an era it was. I love it. Thank you to Adam for recommending a total classic, Bloodsport. I'm pretty sure that you and I can both vouch for that one, Beth. It's a stone cold classic. Stone cold classic. All right, now we're down to the final, uh, final two movies each. Round four, fight. Right. Speaking speaking of Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, my next one, uh, it was going to be the 2003 movie In Hell, you know, directed by Ringo Lamb, um, but it's almost uh, impossible to find anywhere except for my DVD collection, so I'm not going to do that one because otherwise people will be sort of you know, looking everywhere for it. So instead, I'm going to go with Walter Hill's brutal 2002 movie Undisputed, starring Wesley Snipes, Ving Rhames, and Michael Rooker. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. I've never now, even heard of it. Well, this started a great franchise because you had Undisputed 2, 3, and 4. And I want to talk about this one because of the sequels as opposed to the original. But um, 
Well, everyone knows that you are a sequel slut. The, the original is definitely a good movie, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think the sequels are even better and they star Scott Atkins in the in the Of course they role. do. He plays the, uh, the character of Yuri Boyka. In fact, it's a career-defining performance for me, as far as I'm concerned. And number, well, I mean, that's not hard. Number two and three were also directed by um, Isaac Florentine, who everybody knows I love and adore. He's one of the greatest action directors of all time. Uh, it's prison fight movies. These are you know movies about prisoners that are forced to fight in tournaments for corrupt prison wardens, and you know just for the benefit of rich people that are you know campaign funders to local politics and all that kind of stuff, and. It's just brutal. The, the 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 second and third one. Also, I think number two has um. What's the guy's name? Um, shit. Uh, the guy's name is shit. <laughs> hey, I'm Michael uh, Jai White. He's like, I guess the the great thing about having <laughs> having like be, your name being shit Jones is that you don't have to worry about someone else in the union having that name. Oh, Jones. Anyway, but like, it's fantastic. It's it's brutal prison fight movies. Um, yeah, Michael Jai White is that his name? I do. Yes, he, he takes. I love Michael Jai White. He steps in for Wesley Snipes in part two, like because Wesley wouldn't come back. He um, should have been the original. But I, yeah, he should have absolutely. And um, what I love is number, like I said, the choreography. You have um, Isaac Florentine, who is a master of choreography. That's what I think I like about him the most. So it's like you know, fighters turn ballerinas. Like the the, the camera dances amongst them, goes between their the punches and all that. It's glorious stuff. And it sort of very very much feels like a throwback to your blood sports, where it was still dark and gritty. And you know, and look, credit to Walter Hill. He started it off. And you know, Walter Hill is a legend. And this is one of his films that kind of just sort of doesn't exist to most people. They just don't know it. It's I out didn't. There. I didn't know it existed. It's a great. It's a great series. And and the fourth one, which is called Boyka, um, <laughs> Boyka undisputed. Uh, it, it's the most brutal of all. And is it's, there any boyking in the film? <laughs> it all takes place in Russia. So probably, probably, probably. you know, interfamily and you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lots of potato boinking. That's right. Boikering. <laughs> Fuck! This is why are my why are my recommendations so fucking all over the place today? Scattered as shit, and you know, yet you're the one that's not even sticking to the theme. Uh, who knows? So go and find that um, the undisputed series. Start with number one, work your way through to number four. What do you got next, Ben? Well, Glenn, some fight for money, <laughs> some fight for love, <laughs> some fight because they just need to win at all costs. <laughs> In this film from the year 2000, one woman will fight for the very soul of her team. Mm. When Torrance Shipman discovers that her previous squad captain had been stealing their trophy-winning moves from an impoverished competitor, she's depressed, distraught, and demoralized. She even contemplates the Q-word, but nobody quits the Rancho Carni Toros <laughs> because they <laughs> fight to the death. Uh... Not actual death, though. Like, me- metaphorical <laughs> With the help of a sexy newcomer and a guy playing a teenager whose makeup can't quite cover his full beard, <laughs> Torrance and the team dig deep movie montage style and develop a kick-ass new routine that takes them all the way to the national championships, featuring public fingering, spirit fingers, a guy called Sparky Palastri, and the sexiest bikini car wash sequence outside of a Fred Olin Ray film. I am, of course, talking about Bring It On. Mate. Starring Kirsten Dunst, Eliza, there's a hole in my bucket, Dushku, <laughs> Jesse the Beard Bradford, Gabriel Union, and Claire, I've seen your boobs, Kramer, directed by Ant-Man's <laughs> Peyton Reed, Bring It On is a no-holds-barred cheerleading spectacular. If you don't love this movie, 
You shouldn't be listening to this show because you don't deserve to live. <laughs> the foundation for a very long franchise, that one, I can tell you. Yeah, and each one is excellent. <laughs> I have the four pack or five pack. There is way pack. there's a four pack, but there's way more than four films. I don't know if I've uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've gone past four. I think it's up to six now. I don't know. Like once, once Solange Knowles <laughs> takes over as the lead. How surprising was Bring It On when it came out? Like, it was just good. It was so good. And the best thing about... Like, I mean, I... Look, no. The, no. <laughs> the best thing about it is that car wash sequence. But the <laughs> other best thing about it was... It came out... So, this is 2000. So, Flash websites were all the craze. Yeah. And they had they had create, created a Bring It On, like, Flash-specific site. Okay. And it was... You just had, like, girls, like, doing <laughs> cheerleading moves and jumping off trampolines and stuff like on the side of the page as you were scrolling down and reading all the stuff about putting it together. It was so awesome. And then it's, I don't know if it, it's not really, it's not a sequel, but it was it was by the same person, the same woman who wrote uh, Bring It On then did uh, Stick It. Yeah. Stick It was good with Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I was just about to say it was an incredibly disappointing. Oh, no, 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 no. I loved it. No. I'm, like in comparison <laughs> to Bring It On, no way. Like maybe as its own film. Well, comparatively, like, comparatively speaking, of course not. But <laughs> uh, like nothing beats Bring It On. Bring It On's fantastic. I do. Uh, I do know. endorse that one. But um, once again, nothing to do with tournament movies. Uh, well, tournament movies, this but is, not is a... not fight movies. No, no. There's no fighting. No. There's no. There's no. No, no fighting. All right. So I guess that leads to my last. But hang on, hang on. It does have um spirit fingering. So it does. <laughs> these are spirit fingers, and these are gold. Okay. So thank. The Lord that my next one does not have spirit finger in. Um, it is from 1989, Cage. And uh, no, I mention this from time to time. It's a childhood favorite of mine. Uh, thanks mostly to that VHS cover the with VHS the, cover. the bars on the front of it that yeah. are sort of you know, open up in and of themselves. Uh, Lou Ferringo, Red Brown, who two mates that sort of fought in Vietnam together. Uh, Ferengo suffers brain damage when a bullet strikes him in the head whilst he's rescuing Brown from an ambush. Oh, I thought this was, I thought you were saying in real life, like Lou Ferrigno and Red Brown were were like buddies, and I was like, I don't know. No, but they I were. Think, they were. I don't um, think Lou Ferrigno fought in Vietnam. Oh, what was, like what he's was, deaf. He's deaf in one ear. He would. He would have flung. He would have. <laughs> he wouldn't have passed the physical. No, but what was it? They were both superheroes. One was the Hulk, like in in another series, and Red Brown was he Captain America? Captain America. Yeah. yeah. So you know. There you go. There's some interesting trivia yeah. for you. Yeah. Um, but anyway, years later after this, they open a bar together and they find themselves crossing paths with a, a local mob who um, who want them to enter cage fighting. And when they don't, they uh, they the mob burns their <laughs> bar to the ground. Because the mob that I'm a part of, we just <laughs> randomly find people in bars and decide to make them cage fighters despite the fact that they've had no fight experience. It's like bum fights, but just with randoms. Like, oh, not even bums. Man. Just like, I found this, I met this guy in Coles at the, in the Pepsi Max section. You're talking about Cage 2. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Fringo plays this, like, um, this man-child in it, like he's brain damaged and look, you know, I'm going to use the term, trigger warning, everyone turn turn it down if you don't want to hear it, but he goes full retard. You know, he really does. And But it's really endearing. You never go full retard, Glenn. <laughs> he's so endearing. He's cute. He's cute. He's cute. All right. But then he becomes this vicious cage fighter. He's like fighter. Corky in Touched by an Angel. <laughs> he's, 
Well, Belky from he's Perfect Strangers. Neither of them are actually <laughs> retarded. That's a horrible thing to say. Oh, you're a bad man. Uh, such an underrated movie. It's cancelling myself. You are. It's got. Um, it's a wash with movie fights. It's got lots of blood. It sort of it got, it fell in that trap of so many fight movies at the time that it kind of just got forgotten. Like, you, you right. tell anyone about Cage now, they don't know what you're talking about. But if you say Bloodsport Kickboxer, they know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, which is, and the thing that's remarkable about that is that neither Kickboxer nor Bloodsport had puffy covers. No. Yet Cage does. Yep. So it just goes to show you that gimmicks don't work. What was the fight movie that had, like, mesh kind of stocking, kind of red? Um, it's almost like, you know, orange sack material <laughs> inside yeah. the cover. I remember there was, there was chains... Yeah, and that had like chains on. Yeah, the no, this one had like cover. like um fishnet stocking material inside the cover. Yeah, I know, I know that I can see it in my head, but I can't. That I think I is another fight is. tournament movie. But um, anyway, uh, this one also had um, is it Al Leong, the the yeah Hollywood's Hollywood's go to Asian henchman. Yeah, he's yeah. in it. Lethal Weapon, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, he's in. He's in them all. Um, who else we got in there? Uh, James Shigeta, Fu Manchu beard. James Shigeta, I should say, from uh, Die Hard. You know, the, plays the boss of the Nakatami Towers. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he plays the uh, an evil sort of you know, mob boss in this one. Right. Um. Anyway, Cage 2 came along afterwards, and I usually gravitate towards the uh, the number twos, and this one's not very good, so, um, you know, don't... That usually doesn't to... stop you. That usually doesn't. <laughs> you, it's, it's actually it's part be, of the point. <laughs> it's got to be pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what's your final flick of the day? All right, well, look, my final film actually uh, falls... Into the show's theme. <laughs> because not only is it a tournament film, but it's a tournament film based on a video game. It is 2006's Foxy Boxing Spectacular, DOA, Dead or Alive. Yes, that's right, Glenn. I have talked about this film on the show before. <laughs> and I will keep talking about it until everyone who listens to this program publicly acknowledges it for the masterpiece it is. Featuring Holly Valance in a bikini, Jamie Presley in a bikini, Sarah Carter in a bikini, and Devin Aoki in a bikini, this film follows four contestants as they partake in an invitation-only martial arts tournament run by Eric Roberts, who is secretly implanting all the fighters with nanotechnology so he can steal their moves and sell them in a magic serum that can turn anyone into a kick-ass combat master with a bikini-ready body. Directed by Corey Yuen, the man behind No Retreat, No Surrender, The Transporter, and Jet Li's The Enforcer, DOA features bikini fighting, bikini workouts, bikini beach volleyball, bikini rollerblading, and actual death. <laughs> Wasn't there a weird subplot where, where Eric Roberts um, ran a bikini business? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bikini shop on the island, because it's, like, it's all on, an, like a, on a desert island. Very, very Enter the Dragon style. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like in the gift shop, it's a big like it's, it's all bikinis. Yeah, mate, can't go wrong with bikinis. There's, I mean, they, there's a couple of dudes in there, but they have to wear mankinis. <laughs> well, thank you for actually delivering a film that's on point. <laughs> it's a shame. Funny enough, when I was preparing this, I thought that was the one that was I was going to get into trouble for because it was off topic. <laughs> well, it is, oh, but yeah. you know, you've uh, you just you're not on any topic, any topic tonight. But neither am I actually, to be honest with you. But um. Do you have any notable mentions? Uh, funnily enough, I did, and they they uh, they just dribbled out of the side of my uh, head. I'll uh, run some off. Uh, Donnybrook, have you seen that one? With yes, Frank I have Grillo? seen Donnybrook. That was brutal. 
It is, but not as much tournament as I would have liked. They seem to just get there and there's like one fight. Yeah, it's all get into a tournament. And, yeah. But it's just a nasty film. Uh, Never Back Down, that was a pretty good series. Never Back Down 3 with Michael J. White yeah. is like, part two has is shit. Part three is freaking awesome. Yeah. It's And uh, Michael J. White kind of takes over the series. Well, he directed so part two, two and three, I think. Yeah, he's in two. Yeah. I didn't know he directed it, but yeah. he's in three and he's fucking amazing yeah yeah the first one's essentially like a remake of Karate Kid you know for for all intensive purposes yeah. and I look I really actually really like the first one yeah yeah like it's a guilty pleasure it's the first the first it's the movie that introduced us to Cam Giganet Giganet <laughs> well number two tried to uh, introduce us to Dean Geyer yeah <laughs> and the world said no <laughs> Uh, I quite speaking like... of which you'll be on the show next week <laughs> no. I quite like Warrior that was a good one with um, Joel Edgerton and uh, yes that is a really good Tom movie Tom Hardy yeah and I like the TV series as well which is a completely different thing Fighting that was a good one but Raze I, I didn't like Fighting Raze do you remember Raze with Zoe Bell absolutely hardcore I do remember it coming out but I remember not liking Zoe Bell that much yeah right like I was like I don't know about this one. I kind of liked it because it. there was no purpose I'm, to it other than chicks beating the shit out of each other. Which I like. Yeah. I, I'm all for foxy boxing. But they weren't in bikinis. What the fuck? <laughs> and Lionheart, of course, with um, Jean-Claude Van... Blech. Wrong bet. <laughs> slash Lionheart. <laughs> or Leon. Or Leon. 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 Um... Yeah, Leon. <sighs> the Lion. The Lion. I love Wrong Bet, actually. I, I really do. I watch that movie, I think, every th- every three months or so. It gets another play. I really like the the woman who plays, like, the the villain, the kind of the fight promoter in it. Yep. Like, she was from, like, All My Children or something like that. I've, n- like, never seen her in anything again, but she was really good. And the thing that's so weird about that film is that is, um, is it Brian Thompson who plays her, like, Sidekick, the guy with the kind of messed up face, and he's in Miracle Mile. And oh, he's, I know the one you mean. I don't he's know in, his like, name. Yeah. He's in fucking everything. I'm yeah, pretty yeah. sure it's Brian Thompson. Is that he doesn't do any of the fight? Like his whole thing is like he's the big muscle dude in fighting films. Usually he's like the Clancy Brown type villain. Yeah, and this one he's literally in a tuxedo <laughs> and backs down at even like the barest <laughs> hint of any kind of physical altercation. There's a guy in a kilt who gets punched in the nuts because that's what you do to a guy in a kilt. It's uh, there's an animal guy who fights in a pool, and then the then the main villain is like is super awesome. So you could have you could have just talked about that one earlier. I could have, but <laughs> where's the funny? Like I thought I don't want to choose a film that everyone well, has seen. Anyway, before I go stumbling over more of my own words, uh, that's about it. That's game over. Flawless victory, mate. End of an episode. <laughs> I'm almost sad to see it go. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, have you got any parting words uh, for our good listeners before we leave? Uh, only uh, respect DOA. <laughs> and, and bring it on. And Letterboxd, of course. And uh, yes, that's right. Check us out on Letterboxd. Unfortunately, I've already forgotten all the films we've talked about, so it's going to be hard updating it after the show drops. But uh, I'll give it a shot. I th- I'm actually... Um, <laughs> Just search uh, Good Movie Monday. Like, it literally is Good Movie Monday, one word yep. in Letterbox, and you will find us. At the moment, we don't have an avatar. We don't have a bio. So, But we also have zero films, zero diary, zero reviews, zero lists, zero watch lists. So, like, that's the easy way to find us. Like, we are, like, if you come across one that has nothing in it, that's us. Excellent. So, look out for the. <laughs> 
But it will actually it will actually have one list. You've heard of best of the best, we're worst of the worst. worst yeah. <laughs> it will actually have one list by the time you find this, you know, this afternoon. Of course. Uh, must be said, kudos to Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Joe, Chad and James for adding variety to our show. Uh, please find them, support them at Monster Fest, Green Realm, Adam's Just Seen, Bonehead Weekly. Find them on social media, give their pages a like and then some. And of course, to you, our loyal listeners, thanks again for another fun week. You can find us on social media. Just search for Good Movie Monday and there we are. Engage with us. We want to hear from you. So thanks again to Simon McCord and the folks at Universal and Stack. Um, go check out Mortal Kombat in cinemas now. We're going to be doing a video on Thursday night talking about Mortal Kombat and I'm looking forward to that. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> that was terrible. It's <laughs> fucking awful. Um, there's no better way to sign off than with a song from the Bloodsport soundtrack and I think this was chosen by your good self, sir, Stan Bush. Fight to survive. It, it fe- features Stan Bush. I'm actually not sure if who actually... Everyone loves a bit of Bush. I think he does the... Sing- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very tasteful. The Bush. <laughs> Have a good week, everyone. Catch you next week. <laughs>